the Blaze Radio Network. On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. 653. Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics with a side of Latin flair. Vices. I don't have to show you any stinking vices. This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. And welcome to it, everybody. Monday on the Chris Salcedo Show, we have lots to talk about today. Texas. Leading the way on the nation's first sanctuary cities. Bill of a sign into law yesterday. We'll get reaction because, well, the inevitable challenge to that law is coming up. Also, as we're speaking right now, up on Capitol Hill, in a Senate subcommittee, Sally Yates, the former acting attorney general of the United States who defied President Trump's uh, enforcement of his executive order, is going to be grilled by this subcommittee. Right now, Dianne Feinstein is bloviating about something. Uh, So uh, I don't mind talking a little bit while she gets all of her prepackaged liberal attack lines on the current administration in. Senator Whitehouse and Senator Graham, a couple of liberals, uh, chairing this committee. So we will dip in when the first questions are being asked. I'm hoping that Senator Cruz is higher than lower, that we could actually hear from Ms. Yates. All right, uh, let me get you some contact information for the show. 888-933-93-888-900-3393. That is the, the phone number if you want to reach out to the program. Catching the show live, theblaze.com slash radio, Blaze Radio smartphone app, iHeartRadio app. That's all live. Now, here comes On Demand, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. If you want to listen on your schedule, you want to listen, uh, binge listen. I mean, do it all on Saturday. I know people that do this. They listen to all of the week's talk radio on Saturday. I don't know why you'd want to listen to all of it on a Saturday, but hey, different strokes, different folks. Catching up with a social media, easy to do. At Chris Salcedo TX on Twitter, that's at C-H-R-I-S-S-A-L-C-E-D-O-T-X. Facebook, The Chris Salcedo Show, and on TheBlaze.com. Go to the Chris Salcedo Show channel and make sure you follow there. Uh, look, uh, I am... Um, I'm going to dip into this because all of the all of the news channels are on this hearing, CNN, Fox and MSNBS. So they they are trying to right now ask questions of former former Attorney General Yates about defying, I'm assuming, uh, Donald Trump's executive order, what they knew about Russia's involvement in our in our elections. Let's just dip in and hear what they have to say. Anybody in the Trump campaign included colluded with the Russian government or intelligence services 
in an improper fashion. And Senator, my answer to that question would require me to reveal classified information, and so I, I can't answer that. Well, <clears throat> I don't get that because he just said he issued the report, and he said he doesn't know of any. So what would you know that's not in the report? If I may, are you asking me or no, her? Oh. Well, I think that Director Clapper also said that he was unaware of the FBI counterintelligence investigation. Would it be fair to say that the counterintelligence investigation was not mature enough to come to his, to get in the report? Is that fair, Mr. Mr. Clapper? I, that's, an, that's a possibility. Uh, what I, I don't get is how the FBI can have a counterintelligence investigation suggesting collusion and you as Director of National Intelligence not know about it and the FBI signed on to a report that basically said there was no collusion. I can only speculate uh, why that's so. There wasn't... Uh, uh, oh, I can speculate too, Director Clapper. Former Director, thank God, former Director Clapper. It was all political. Confidence that we were striving for in that intelligence community assessment. Okay, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, follow up on that. Are you familiar with the dossier about uh, Mr. Trump compiled by some guy in England? I am. <clears throat> Did you find that to be a credible report? Well, we didn't make a judgment on that, and that's that's. Uh, one no, we felt we felt it was necessary to include it, but we didn't make a judgment on it. We included it in the report, but we didn't make a judgment. We couldn't corroborate the sourcing, particularly the second, third order uh, sources. Ms. Yates, are you familiar with the dossier? Microphone. If I could try to clarify one answer before as well, because I think Senator Graham, you may have misunderstood me. You asked me whether I was aware of any evidence of collusion, and I declined to answer because answering would reveal classified information. I believe that that's the same answer that Director Comey gave to this committee when he was asked this question as well. And he made clear, and I'd like to make clear, that just because I say I can't answer it, you should not draw from that an assumption that that means that the answer is yes. Okay, fair enough. And I also think, if I may, sir, that this illustrates what I was trying to get at in my statement about the uh, unique position that the FBI, FBI straddles between intelligence and law enforcement. Okay. I just want the country to know that whatever they're doing on the counterintelligence side, Mr. Clapper didn't know about it, didn't make it in the report, and we'll see what comes from it. Um, Ms. Yates, what did you tell the White House about Mr. Flynn? I had two in-person meetings and one phone call with the White House counsel about Mr. Flynn. Um, the first meeting occurred on January 26. I called Don McGahn first thing that morning and told him that I had a very sensitive matter that I needed to discuss with him, that I couldn't talk about it on the phone and that I needed to come see him. And he agreed to meet with me later that afternoon. Um, I took a senior member of the National Security Division um, who was overseeing this matter with me to meet with Mr. McGahn. Folks, you got to understand that Michael Flynn is the target of this hearing. Uh, Diane Feinstein passed out a timeline and already basically targeted uh, uh, Michael Flynn. It's essential to know about Michael Flynn, she said, and that seems to be the tone and tenor set early on in this hearing. That related conduct that Mr. Flynn had been involved in that we knew not to be the truth. And as I, as I tell you what happened here, again, I'm, I'm going to be very careful not to reveal classified Well, the reason you knew it wasn't true is because she had collected some intelligence from an incidental collection system, is that fair to say? 
And I can't answer that because that, again, would call me for me to reveal classified. Let me ask you this. Did anybody ever make a request to unmask the conversation between the Russian ambassador and Mr. Flynn? And again, Senator, I can't answer a question like that. Mr. Clapper, do you know if that was the case? I don't. Is there a way to find that out? Well, in another setting, it could be discussed. But there is a record somewhere of who would make a request to unmask the conversation with General Flynn and the Russian ambassador. Well, I'm sure. If one was made, there'd be a record of it. I can't speak to this specific case, but I can generally comment that in the case of 702 requests, yes. Talking about Susan Rice, that's what Graham is trying to get after. Who asked for the unmasking of Flynn? The reason why Sally Yates knew that Flynn wasn't being exactly truthful was because he was swept up in what many are saying was unlawful surveillance and an unlawful unmasking for political purposes by Susan Rice inside of the Obama administration. Nor do I know the answer to that. Is it fair to say that if somebody did make an unmasking request, we would know who they were and we could find out from them who they shared the information with? Is that fair to say? The system would allow us to do what I just described. Well, unmasking requests are not made to the Department of Justice. No, but to the agency who does the collection. That's my understanding. So there should be a record somewhere in our system whether or not an unmasking request was made for the conversation between Mr. Flynn and the Russian ambassador. We should be able to determine if it did, if it was made, who made it. Then we can ask, what did they do with the information? Is that a fair statement, Mr. Clapper? Yes. Okay. Now, what did you finish? What did you tell the White House? So I told them again that there were a number of press accounts of statements that have been made by the vice president and other high-ranking White House officials about General Flynn's conduct that we knew to be untrue. And we told them how we knew that this, how we had this information, how we had acquired it, and how we knew that it was untrue. And we walked the White House counsel, who also had an associate there with him, through General Flynn's underlying conduct, the contents of which I obviously cannot go through with you today because it's classified. But we took them through in a fair amount of detail of the underlying conduct, what General Flynn had done, and then we walked through the various press accounts and how it had been falsely reported. We also told them what he had done. What did he do? Now, you guys notice that when Ms. Yates wasn't very careful to say, just because I said he did something doesn't necessarily mean it was illegal or nefarious. She didn't want to stop there. She wants to leave the impression that Michael Flynn had done something. Again, that the underlying conduct that General Flynn had engaged in was problematic in and of itself. Secondly, we told him we felt like... The well, wait a minute. Isn't that classified? How come, how come you can't tell, who, tell us who unmasked his conduct, but you could say his conduct was, not, was inappropriate? Why does one reveal a source or a method rather than identify somebody who is a Democrat? It's okay to to rake Flynn over the coals. By the way, before his, it bears pointing out at this point, folks, the last job that Mr. Flynn had before joining up with Trump was in the Obama administration. He's he's worked in several uh, administrations, apparently, or at least these last two. Done. And additionally, that we weren't the only ones that knew all of this. 
that the Russians also knew about what General Flynn had done, and the Russians also knew that General Flynn had misled the vice president and others. Because in the media accounts, it was clear from the vice president and others that they were repeating what General Flynn had told them. And that this was a problem, because not only did we believe that the Russians knew this, but that they likely had proof of this information. And that created a compromise situation, a situation where the national security advisor essentially could be blackmailed by the Russians. Well, this is pretty much as billed, folks. It's a Flynn roast, and that's why this hearing was called. It's instructive. Senator Graham is the chairman. Uh, Senator Whitehouse is the ranking member. And it looks like the long knives are out for Flynn. They have been for some time. Uh, we'll see where it goes. We'll continue to monitor in the break, folks. Be right back. It's the Chris Salcedo Show here in the Blaze. Keep up with the Chris Salcedo Show on Facebook and on Twitter at Chris Salcedo TX. Just another way to stay in touch with Chris on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. Chris Salcedo is on the Blaze Radio Network. Here's my immediate takeaway just from the opening salvos. In this hearing up on Capitol Hill, again, uh, Sally Yates, former acting attorney general uh, in the transition period into the Trump administration, that when it comes to incriminating Democrats, well, that's classified. We can't talk about it in an open set. But when it talks about... uh, open and frank talk about possible criminal activity undertaken by Mr. Flynn. Well, we can talk about that all day long. When it, when it comes about talking about uh, General Flynn's alleged conduct, oh, we can talk about that all day. That, does, that doesn't violate sources and methods. But when it, when it comes to identifying Democrats who may have been complicit in possible illegal surveillance of Americans. When it comes to identifying Democrats who may have been involved in politicizing this whole thing from the very, from the get-go, then, I'm sorry, that that just classified. We can't talk about it in an open setting. But you know what? As far as General Flynn is concerned, he gets raked over the coals. And again, I'm I'm not making any value judgments over over Flynn. I, I was just as dumbfounded as many of you when, when Mr. Flynn had registered as a foreign agent and had been registered as a foreign agent. (laughs) Really? National security advisor, you say? And that I, I took the white house to task last week when Sean Spicer seemed to indicate, well, you know what we, you know, Obama had vetted Flynn. We thought he was okay. Obama's team had renewed his security clearance in 2016. Why would we have to worry about it? In my view, Anybody that Barack Obama 
gave security clearance to, I would be worried. Not only because of the, the, the nature of his administration and how they didn't really take care to safeguard the nation's secrets, but it's Obama. It's, it's, it was a bunch of leftists. So why would you leave it up to a bunch of anti-American freaks in his administration? So I'm not, I'm not, don't misunderstand as I'm, as, as, as me jumping to Michael Flynn's defense. Uh, there, there are those who are out there still defending him, but the overwhelming body of evidence seems that at the very least, he wasn't exactly being straightforward about what he was up to. Um, so at any rate, I, I'm teetering whether or not I'm going to go back and forth on this. It's, it's pretty dry stuff. And I, I didn't, didn't mind covering it in the flip around, but I don't know if I want to go back to it. It's just, and if there are some fireworks, we'll continue to monitor during the breaks. I mean, it's Senator Whitehouse right now. And this guy's about, about as fair as, uh, as a, a Don Corleone executioner. And uh, and as about as lively as watching paint dry, so it would it wouldn't even make for compelling radio. So uh, if, if there are any fireworks, if let's say for example Ted Cruz decides he wants to ask some real questions of Miss Yates and um, the former Attorney General Clapper, then we we will uh, maybe dip in to see what's going on. Meantime, we have some other things to discuss today here on the Chris Salcedo Show. There is uh, an article that we posted up on the Salcedo Show Facebook page. And this article has to do with the growing unrest and terrible situation in Venezuela. This is a Wall Street Journal piece by Juan Ferrero. Yare, Venezuela is the dateline. Jean-Pierre Planchard, year old has the drawn face of an old man and a cry that is a little more than a whimper. His ribs show through his skin. He weighs just 11 pounds. He's one. His mother, Maria Planchard, uh, tried to feed him what she could find combing through the trash. Scraps of chicken or potato. She finally took him to the hospital in Caracas where she prays a rice milk concoction will keep her son alive. One of the individuals pictured in this piece by the Wall Street Journal is a little baby, probably one or two. It's hard to tell because he's so malnourished. Could be a she for all I know. And scars pock its body. It's a... It is a a testament to Democrat policies. You want to know what happens if the Democrats and the extremist libs win the day here in the United States? Have a look at Venezuela. Donald Trump, the administration, is monitoring the Venezuelan instability, believes there's a strong need, writes Fox News, to bring weeks of anti-government protests in the country's capital of Caracas to a quick and peaceful conclusion. Maduro is not at all interested, folks, in, a, in peace. He just wants to solidify power to keep socialism going so he can eat. And so the statists can eat. The people, no. Once Latin America's richest country, 
Venezuela can no longer feed its people, hobbled by the nationalization of farms. You know what that is? The nationalization of farms It's the government saying, hey, we're going to we're going to run your farm so that everybody gets their fair share. Sound familiar? Hobbled by the nationalization of farms as well as price and currency controls. Now, who who does that sound like? Who wants to tell corporations how much they can charge you? Who wants to? Who wants to falsely manipulate currencies? Leftists, like the Chinese. Leftists, like the Democrat Party here in the United States, want to put in price controls for health care. Oh, you can't charge more than that, but then we're going to take a loss. Sorry. You guys want a case study as to what America's future looks like if slash when the Democrats win the day. Have a look at Venezuela. That's what awaits you and your family. And that's why you ought to keep attuned to the blaze and maybe go to school and go to work and and judge why conservatism is so head and shoulders above liberalism any day of the week. The Chris Salcedo Show. Part of Generation Blaze. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Salcedo Show. Coming up next hour, we'll talk to an attorney about the next step. The, the, the American left will challenge uh, what's going on in Texas. The first state in the country to basically say, hey, you know, if you're a Democrat and you want to, you know, not enforce federal immigration law, you want to actively aid illegal immigrant felons, I don't think we're going to allow you to do that anymore without, you know, without consequences, without fining your city, without fining your, your municipality, and without jailing you and possibly taking you out of whatever position you're in. And now there's sure to be some sort of legal challenge. I don't know what that looks like. I honestly can't conceive, although I wouldn't put it past Democrats to get up there and, and, and insist that Democrat lawmakers have the ability to violate federal law without consequence and whatever the hell they want. I just want to know what statute that is. For all I know, Obama got it passed and we didn't know about it. Triple eight nine hundred thirty three ninety three eight 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 nine zero zero three three nine three. Speaker Ryan jumping on um, ABC with George Snuffleupagus this weekend, and um, well, uh, talking about pre-existing conditions. It was a rather contentious exchange. Under this bill, no matter what, you cannot be denied coverage of your pre-existing condition. Under this bill. You cannot but only you can not be charge denied coverage, more. you can't be charged higher. Let me, let me finish my point. You can't charge people more if they keep continuous coverage. You guys know why that is. You can't charge people more if they can. So these are price controls. This is the, the federal government telling the traitorous insurance companies, you must do this. We're going to regulate you. So it's not the free market. And the, the kickback is that we're going we're gonna to tell the people that they must maintain continuous coverage to qualify for these lower rates. 
that keeps money flowing, right? Who does it flow to? Flows to the traders insurance companies that the Republicans made sure the traders insurance companies were taken care of. The, pe- the key of having a continuous coverage provision is to make sure that people stay covered and they move from one plan to the next if they want to. It's kind of like waiting until your house is on fire to then buy your homeowner's insurance. You want to make sure that people stay covered to keep the cost down. But, but as the you most know, Mr. Speaker, sometimes people added, lose coverage through no fault of their own. No, that is one point. I just want to get in on that right. point. So people let me finish my point. That's right. So I was getting there until you just cut me off. Yeah. George Snuffleupagus wants to know about, you know, millions of people, statistically very, very small, but millions of people who are who are out of a job through no fault of their own. And in particular, in the uh, era of Obama, that 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 happened quite a bit. People were out of jobs through no fault of their own. So, you know, liberals, where is that going? Liberals recognize that uh, this kind of stuff can happen all the time when government is the center of your universe. So he's trying to address it. And again, uh, there are, th- this will affect very few people who don't have employer based insurance or are not part of the current exchanges, but it will f- affect, you know, some, some folks in the millions. And uh, hold on a second, let uh, Paul Ryan continue. I was getting there until you just cut me off. The point of this bill in those states that get a waiver to do what they need to do to make it work better in their particular states has support exactly for that very person who, if in the course between a year, get extra aid for support for pre-existing condition. And on the state waivers are on the condition that a state has a working high-risk pool to help specifically that person with high ex- a pre-existing condition. Let- All right, so basically the, gr- the ground rules are this. That and again, folks, this is this is kind of a useless point to go over because the Senate's going to get a hold of this thing and and they're going to do their own thing and, and and the bill that the the, the House put up, eat, let's just say for argument's sake, the Senate does do something and I and the jury's out on that and I'm kind of hoping they don't because. The more I think about this, the more I think it's essential that Obamacare be allowed to collapse under its own weight. That Obamacare be allowed to do its job and destroy the traitorous insurance companies. I can tell you the insurance companies add 30%, 30% to your cost of health care, at least. So if they were to go the way of the dinosaur... Uh, courtesy of Obamacare and there would be a massive collapse in the health insurance system and all of these Democrats and their constituents would be out on the streets courtesy of Obamacare. I don't look at that as a negative. Uh, now, now there, there will be several in the basket of biased press who will then blame Trump for not fixing Obama's screw-up and not blame Obama's screw-up. I understand that. And that's what it's going to take an articulate Republican Party to, to, to basically, here's your talking point. Go out there and say it's Obamacare. Go talk to Obama. It's Obamacare. Go talk to Obama. We, we kept it all in place. We didn't change a blessed thing. Not a thing. By the way, Jonathan Gruber's out there. You know, uh, Mr thinking the American people are stupid himself. And I'll play that soundbite for you here in a little bit, saying that uh, that Donald Trump is to blame for the failures of Obamacare. I kid you not. It's, it's just like Hillary. 
getting out there and saying, I take full responsibility, but it was James Comey and WikiLeaks that caused uh, me to lose the election. Liberals can never accept responsibility for their screw-ups. They never will. Never can. It's a character flaw. It's, it, it is something that is inbred into the liberal, I think it's almost genetic, that prevents them from saying, gee, I screwed up, it must be somebody else's fault. Because it could never be me. Newt Gingrich and Jane Harmon were on uh, Fox News Sunday, and we learned something from Jane this weekend. They were, they were discussing how, how Obamacare has, and, and thankfully, this was brought up about how our current situation, the reason why the Republicans are acting is because our current situation is so untenable, how Obamacare just screwed everybody. And Newt is, is very quick to point that out. The fact is, the, the Obamacare system's collapsing. Uh, met, they just announced in Maryland a 50% rate increase next year. Uh, there are no plans left in, in Knoxville, Kentucky. In 94 of the 99 counties of Iowa, there are no plans left. I mean, people can yell about pre-existing conditions. You can't get any insurance. You have no coverage for any condition. This is an effort to try to get the program to, be, to survive, to make sure we can offer insurance for everybody. Who we? Who we? Government? Is it government's job to make sure that a private insurance company can provide insurance for everybody? Is that the goal? I thought health care was the goal for everybody. Not health, not health insurance doesn't mean health care. And Obamacare proves that. As individuals are saddled with high deductibles, high premiums, as a matter of fact, those deductibles require you to spend a boatload of money before, before you even get coverage kicking in. Well, I was in the House when Obamacare passed. I voted for it. Uh, it passed on a, and a totally party-line party vote, as this version did. And we're just trading bad for bad. Listen to that, folks. Bad for bad, says Jane Harmon, former Democrat, a centrist at the time. At Ob That's the first time I've ever heard a Democrat call Obamacare bad. And now we're trading that bad law for another bad law. But again, it's it's only one. It's it's the House version. Who knows what the Senate's going to do? Why don't we think about American health care, not Republican health care? Yeah, well, because it's going to screw everybody equally. I guess she's got a point there. Hey, you know what, folks, just for giggles, John Cornyn is starting to to cross examine Sally Yates here. I, I want to hear what the senator from Texas has to ask her. He's a former judge. This is not anything new, although perhaps the level and intensity and the sophistication of both Russian overt and covert operations is uh, really unprecedented. And I thank the intelligence community for their assessment. I do regret that uh, these, while these two witnesses are certainly uh, welcome and um, we're glad to have them here, that uh, former National Security Advisor Susan Rice has refused to testify in front of the committee. It seems to me there are a lot of questions that need that she needs to answer. I would uh, point out, though, that, uh, Mr. Chairman, that both Senator Feinstein and I are fortunate enough to be on the Senate Intelligence Committee, which is also conducting a bipartisan investigation under the leadership of Chairman Burr and Vice Chairman Warner. Um, one of the benefits of that additional investigation is that we have been given access to the raw intelligence um, collected by the intelligence community, which I think 
completes what understandably is an incomplete picture when you can only talk in a public setting about part of the evidence. But Yeah, part of the evidence. The part of the evidence that indicts Flynn and doesn't identify any Democrats' culpability. This subcommittee hearing is playing an important role in that. I want to ask uh, Director Clapper, because I think, unfortunately, some of the discussion about unmasking is casting suspicion on the intelligence community in a way that I think is, frankly, um, concerning. Okay, we're not learning much about that. So we'll see if Senator, again, Cruz is who we're really waiting for to ask some actually pointed questions. Uh, all right, uh, so Newt and Jane Harmon continue their back and forth on Fox News Sunday this weekend, and, and Jane Harmon actually taught us something this way. At least I learned something. For Obamacare, and my reaction is that this got Reince Priebus, who did a very good job on your show, and Paul Ryan over the goal line, uh, but we need, it's going to be a do-over in the Senate, and it's not going to look anything like the House bill if it even passes the Senate. But do you agree with the Speaker that Obamacare is, is collapsing? I agree that there are issues with Obamacare, and they, part of that is that the bill that passed the House, the Congress, that didn't resemble what we did in committee on. A- did you guys hear that? The bill that passed didn't resemble what we had done in committee, but she has an addendum to that. Resemble what we did in committee on a bipartisan basis. There was work done on Obamacare on a bipartisan basis that put out a law, but all of the Republican suggestions. Now, maybe I've, I knew this and forgot it because I know there was no Republican input in, the, in what passed. But Jane Harmon's gripe here is that when Obamacare passed, there was Republican input. It was just thrown out. It was just ignored. It, it would have received some Republican votes if there had been some Republican ideas thrown in there. But the Democrats had a once-in-a-generation a once opportunity supermajority in Congress and the White House, they wanted to go full-blown socialism. And they didn't want any moderating factors that would keep competitiveness in there and non, non-government com- control in there. Now, Jane Harmon says that's what happened here as well. And we've just repeated the same uh, movie by having a bill that didn't go through committee that isn't scored by CBO. Well, first off, CBO, they're never right. And didn't go through committee. It's because Democrats have pledged not to do anything, Jane Harmon. You, you might be projecting uh, the, the fact that Democrats might want to behave like you. And they don't ex- Democrats like you, Jane Harmon, don't exist anymore. Uh, and that uh, came out just as a leadership, uh, in my view, press release. Yeah. We'll get more on this on the other side of the break. Stick with me, folks. It's Chris Salcedo's show. Happy Monday on The Blaze. It's not just a show. It's a movement. Join the swarm. Twitter hashtag Salcedo Swarm. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Chris Salcedo show on the Blaze Radio Network. And of course, we go to we go to the spot break, and there was something that uh, that was actually material to what I wanted to find out. Senator Cornyn just asked Yates. Uh, so wait a minute, you had the Office of Legal Counsel come in and say that President Trump's 
executive order was lawful, but you countermanded them. On what authority did you do that? Uh, we might be able to, if, if I can squeeze that in, folks, I'll, I'll get it here on the Chris Salcedo Show uh, before the end of the day. If not, we'll save it for tomorrow, because I'm sure this testimony by Yates, it's been eagerly awaited by the basket of bias press. So um, if not today, we'll get to it tomorrow. Jonathan Gruber. You guys remember Jonathan Gruber? The Goober? Jonathan Gruber? Here's a guy who is uh, an extremist leftist. And he was the go-to guy on Obamacare, imposing this on us. And uh, his job was to con the American people to, um, how did he put it? I think he put it this way. Lack of transparency is a huge political advantage. You know, call it the stupidity of the American voter or whatever. The stupidity of the American voter or whatever. Lack of transparency. He continued that tradition on Fox News Sunday this weekend, folks. Uh, with his desire for a lack of transparency, it was, it was quite extraordinary. And one of the one of the things that he wanted to put out there was the fact that the reason why Obamacare is failing we, was because of Donald Trump. I'm I'm dying of Obamacare is the fa- the failure of Obamacare is the fault of Donald Trump now. I'm sorry, even you more you most stalwart leftists out there have got to have really got got to say that you've got to be kidding. Really? Seriously? Well, um he did say it. But I, I think this is this, this is there's there's a psychological component to this, psychology, if you will, of when these leftists are caught, and right now in the in the midst of a failing Obamacare system, they, that they foisted upon us solely by Democrat votes and left-wing extremism construction, then when it starts to fail, as we all predicted it would, they all say, oh, no, no, it wasn't our fault. It was because you didn't continue to elect us. Really? 888-900-3393. The Chris Salcedo Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics with a side of Latin flair. I don't have to show you how to stinking This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Ted Cruz is up. Let's listen in, folks. ...of any interceptions of the Bernie Sanders campaign, Hillary Clinton campaign, no. or any other candidate in no. 2016 or campaigns. No. Okay. Let's revisit the topic, Ms. Yates, that, that you and Senator Cornyn were talking about. Okay. Uh, is it correct that the Constitution vests the executive authority in the president? Yes. And if an attorney general disagrees with a policy decision of the president, mm-hmm. a policy decision that is lawful, does the attorney general have the authority to direct the Department of Justice to defy the president's order? I don't know whether the attorney general has the authority to do that or not, but I don't think it would be a good idea, and that's not what I did in this case. Well, are you familiar with 8 U.S.C. Section 1182? Not off the top.
it is the binding statutory authority for the executive order that you refused to implement and that led to your termination. So it, it certainly is a relevant and not a terribly obscure statute. Mm -hmm. By the express text of the statute, it says, quote, whenever the president finds that the entry of any alien or of any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may by proclamation and for such period as he shall deem necessary suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem appropriate. Would you agree that that is broad statutory authorization? I would, and I am familiar with that, and I'm also familiar with an additional provision of the INA that says no person shall receive preference or be discriminated against in issuance of a visa because of race, nationality, or place of birth. That, I believe, was promulgated after the statute that you just quoted. And that's been part of the discussion with the courts with respect to the INA, is whether this more specific statute trumps the first one that you just described. The, but there, my concern there, was not an INA concern here. It rather was a constitutional concern, whether or not this, um, the executive order here violated the Constitution, specifically with the Establishment Clause and equal protection and due process. There is no doubt the arguments you laid out are arguments that we can expect litigants to bring, partisan litigants who disagree with the policy decision of the president. I would note on January 27, 2017, the Department of Justice issued an official legal decision, a determination by the Office of Legal Counsel, mm -hmm. that the executive order, and I'll quote from the opinion, the proposed order is approved with respect to form and legality. That's a determination from OLC on January 27th that it was legal. Three days later, you determined, using your own words, that although OLC had, had opined on legality, it had not addressed whether it was, quote, wise or just. And I also, in that same directive, Senator, said that I was not convinced it was lawful. I also made the point that the office of OLC looks purely at the face of the document. And, and that's all it's supposed to look at is the face of the document at face value be enforceable would be lawful they importantly do not look outside the face of the document and in this particular instance particularly where we were talking about a fundamental issue of religious freedom oh, not good the grief. interpretation of some arcane statute but religious freedom it, it had nothing to do with religious freedom what religion is she talking about islam Six countries were affected by this thing. Seven in the first one, six in the next one. And there were 42 other Muslim countries that were not affected. How does she justify this? This has formally approved the legality of a policy, and three days later, the Attorney General has directed the department not to follow that policy and to defy that policy? I'm not, but I'm also not aware of a situation where the Office of Legal Counsel was advised not to tell the Attorney General about it until after it was over. Thank you, Ms. Yates. I, I, I would note that might be the case if there's reason to suspect partisanship. Sen Senator Klobuchar. Thank you. Um, I want to thank you very much. Uh yeah, whatever. All right. <clears throat> Interesting. Yes, I was worried about discrimination on a religion, but the executive order didn't, dis didn't discriminate on a religion. That, that's the whole thing. The executive order did nothing of the kind. It prevented travel from seven initially, six subsequently nations. that were majority Muslim, yes, 
But there were, uh, again, as mentioned, 42 other nations, 43 other nations that were not, that were majority Muslim that were not specified. So how can a rational human being conclude that there was some sort of religious test being implemented here? They can't. It was political, as Senator Cruz aptly pointed out. All right, let's pivot back, if we can, folks, to um, the goings-on this weekend on Fox News Sunday. Jonathan Gruber and Karl Rove were going back and forth over the merits of the American Health Care Act, which, of course, the, the Republicans in the House, their version uh, to amend Obamacare, which I'm, I'm a fan no, uh, not of Obamacare or of the American Health Care Act. Uh, the American Health Care Act is superior to Obamacare, but that's like saying, you know, um, uh, Obamacare is a pile of dung. And it's not hard to be superior to a pile of dung, is it? So here's Jonathan Gruber, uh, and uh, kudos to Chris Wallace for coming out and um, basically saying, uh, well, uh, here is the track record of Obamacare, and, and why don't you defend it, Mr. Gruber? Premiums under Obamacare went up an average of 24% across the country this year. The average number of insurers... Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you hear what he said? Up 24%. Not not in total. Not for the entire six years, seven years that it's been implemented. This year, it went up 24%. And it has been double-digit increases for many years that Obamacare has been inflicted on this nation. Premiums under Obamacare went up an average of 24% across the country this year. The average number of insurers in each marketplace has dropped from 5.9 in 2015 to 3.9 now. Professor Gruber, in Iowa, there uh, is now uh, only one insurance company left in, in all but five counties in Iowa, and they just announced, Medica, that they're thinking of dropping out, which means there'd be no insurance companies for the marketplace in all but five counties in Iowa. Look, and whose fault is this? Before President Trump was elected, there were no counties in America that did not have an insurer. B.S. The, 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 the trend was already starting under President Obama, even before the election, Mr. Gruber. You are full of it. But of course, here's a guy who believes that lack of transparency is a great political asset. You know, because the American people are stupid, he said. Since President Trump's been elected and massively... Wait, wait, wait. You're going to wait. You're going to blame the problems with Obamacare on President Trump? We had a situation under Obamacare where there was a one-time premium increase last year that made up for the fact that... Whoa, whoa. One-time premium? Has there only been a one-time premium increase? The entire, the entire implementation of Obamacare? That's absurd. That's patently absurd. But here comes uh, the man who hopes you're all a bunch of stupid people. The one-time premium increase last year that made up for the fact that insurers massively underpriced in the first two years. (laughs) Out of the kindness of their hearts, I'm sure. The traitorous insurance companies underpriced. And yet premiums were still going up double digits, Mr. Gruber. How do you figure that? In, the problem was fixed. Insurers' positive profits were trending positively. Oh, really? so now we're concerned about the profits in the traitorous insurance companies, Mr. Gruber. You, an extremist lib. Insurers were saying positive things about their ability to stay in the exchanges and succeed. Then you have a president who comes in, undercuts open enrollment. Undercuts open enrollment. What's he talking about? Did Donald Trump do that? No, he didn't. Four days 
of commercials that were supposed to be bought with taxpayer dollars to promote Obamacare collapsed all of Obamacare. Uh, the Trump administration stopped four days worth of television spots. And Mr. Gruber says, oh, that, that caused the whole system to collapse. <laughs> you, you believe this, cat? If Obamacare could collapse, if it wasn't promoted four, four days worth of commercials, was it really that sturdy to begin with? Doesn't, doesn't honor the obligations this law makes to insurers. All right. And as a result, premiums are going up and insurers are exiting. You can look at the quotes from insurers I, I, themselves. Yes, 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 yes. Donald Trump has not done a blessed thing to Obamacare. He is maintaining all of the commitments that resident Obama put in all of them, every stinking last one of them uh, on the hope and assumption that the Republicans will get something done. Uh, yeah, the Democrats, I, I've got to remind you folks before we go to break here, the Democrats, how much they love and adore Jonathan Gruber. The man who said this. Lack of transparency is a huge political advantage. You know, call it the stupidity of the American voter or whatever. And Democrats just love themselves the goober, Gruber. You've already drawn some of the brightest minds from uh, academia and policy circles. Uh, many of them I've stolen ideas from liberally. Uh, people ranging from Robert Gordon to Austin Goolsby, John Gruber. According to Gruber, who has been our guide on a lot of this, it, it's somewhere in the vicinity of an $8 billion cost. Dr. Uh, Gruber, who has lots of experience in this area and is lending uh, the benefit of his experience and his insight. One of the nation's foremost economists, a man by the name of Jonathan Gruber, analyzed our bill and concluded that we'll help Americans pay less and get more. So Jonathan Gruber, the man who was banking on the, the alleged stupidity of the American voter, said that Obamacare was going to pay, have us all paying less and getting more. And just the opposite has occurred. We're all paying more. Well, 85% of us are paying more. And we're getting far less. We're getting crappy insurance. And much of it we can't even use. So thank you, Jonathan Gruber. Not only are you a complete moron, See, I, I, I don't even think he was a moron, folks. I think he knew exactly that Obamacare was going to do what it's doing right now, which is fail and do what it was supposed to do, kill the insurance industry. And, and as far as I'm concerned, that's the only positive I could see. The traitorous insurance companies get blown out of the water. Pretty happy about that. Back in a minute, the Chris Salcedo Show on The Blaze. Broadcasting with Latin flair. This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Chris Salcedo Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Carl Rove did get his turn, folks, on Fox News Sunday this weekend, and he, he went after Mr. Gruber, uh, uh, basically alleging that Mr. Gruber uh, was once again banking on what Mr. Gruber considers the stupidity of the American people. The stupidity of the American voter. And I have to remind you all, 
what is the universe that Mr. Gruber is picking from here? Those who believed President Obama when he said, like your plan, keep your plan, like your doctor, keep your doctor, save $2,500 a year for an average family of four, who believed Obamacare was the solution to some problems in, in the medical and the insurance field. Those, those people, so that excludes conservatives, that excludes the vast majority of the Republican Party, it excludes the vast majority of independents. So who are we left with? Libs, Democrats. And there are even some Democrats who didn't believe Obama, but there are a few. So the stupid people who believed all of this crap were Libs, were Dems. And all you Democrats out there, don't take it up with me. Take it up with Jonathan Gruber. You're the one who fell for his garbage. Look, last week, Dr. Gruber, uh, he blamed it all on the insurers because, uh, but but uh, they guessed wrong. Really, actually, the government told them to uh, to consider that they would get a lot more healthier, younger people uh, than they actually got in any single year that this program has been in effect. So let me get this straight. Jonathan Gruber said that all of these young, uh, healthy people would be so willing to, to take it in the shorts so they could subsidize older and sicker people. And that didn't pan out. That didn't happen. <laughs> but Jonathan Gruber said that they're going to be there. Smartest man in America, the architect of Obamacare, said they were going to be there. And he dares to call other people stupid? He said Trump stopped the ads. Trump stopped the ads on the 26th of January, and the end of the enrollment period was the 31st. Really, the problems of Obamacare are going to be solved by four days worth of TV ads. That's what I was talking about. Was when, when Jonathan Gruber said that, that Trump undercut Obamacare. Four days of ads. Really? He also said the executive order said not to enforce the individual mandate and that that caused problems, dis disruption in the force. Well, President Obama delayed the individual mandate for two years and the employer mandate for a year. So you hear what Rove's saying there is the fact that, uh, let me get this straight, oh, uh, Trump's in there for two months and says that the IRS will not enforce the individual mandate. If you don't, I took a call from an earlier version of the Salcedo Show today, folks. And they said that you can't mark no, you have to leave it blank on your tax returns. Leave it blank. If you mark no, you're still going to get tagged on, uh, on your uh, tax returns. They should have made that more clear. Anyhow, but just this, these two months was enough to throw Obamacare in a complete death spiral. But when Obama pro uh, violated his own law and delayed the individual mandate for two years, oh, that didn't do it. And when he, when he delayed the employer mandate for a year, oh, that didn't do it. But Trump does it for a couple of months and the whole damn thing collapses. Again, Jonathan Gruber lying to all you stupid people out there. Again, all you conservatives and vast majority Republicans and independents, he's not talking, I'm not talking about you guys. Jonathan Gruber is talking about those who believed in Obama and Obamacare. And finally, he said, oh, the, he talked about the cost sharing payments and that caused distress among the insurance companies. Well, the insurance companies are getting the cost sharing payments, despite the fact that last year a federal judge declared them illegal. So basically what what Rove is saying is that Trump's continuing even the Ill illegal payments to Obamacare, even though a federal judge said they were illegal. Trump's continuing everything. With the, with the assumption that the Republicans are going to do something to rid us of Obamacare. 
So Jonathan Gruber, again, is being completely disingenuous. Still banking on the stupidity of, well, whoever bought it to begin with. Last October, Dr. Gruber said the program is working exactly as we designed it. Now, it was designed, as he said earlier, with the stupidity of the American people built into their calculations of how to sell it. But it is a broken right. system. Okay, so basically you have a system which was not working perfectly, but it was a system which was very fixable. The but question but is, can you respond why? to what Carl just said? Well, what, working what as just... designed. It is working as designed. There is no, there is no sense in which it needs to be fixed, Mr. Gruber said. Uh, Rove is reading from a news account. So just a few, uh, whenever that, that article was written, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, Gruber was saying, it's working as advertised. And of course it was. Nothing to fix, said Gruber. But now, oh, oh now it needs fixing. The no, law is working no, as designed. The law could absolutely be improved. The man's just a liar, folks. Jonathan Gruber is a weasel leftist liar. And he thinks you're all stupid. <laughs> uh, last thing I wanted to address on this topic before we start moving on to sanctuary cities. Chris Wallace uh, fell into this trap that was set by the leader of the basket of bias, CNN. CNN was looking at the working group that was put out there to attack the repeal of Obamacare on the Senate side. And they said, oh, there's no women. There's no women. How could it be good if there's no women? And then Chris Wallace took it a step further. Uh, there was a good deal of pushback to the optics. Take a look at this picture of the president's victory celebration with House Republicans in the Rose Garden. And if that wasn't enough, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell announced his working group on health care reform. And if you notice something all of those people have in common, it's 13 white men. Fred? 13 white men, said Chris Wallace of Fox News Channel. Um, one of those men was Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, I, I hate to point out to Chris Wallace, who said just last week that there were no sanctuary cities in the state of Texas. <laughs> Complete, flat-out wrong. Uh, I'd just like to point out that, that Ted Cruz is a Latino. Um, Mr. Wallace, the moderator of Fox News Sunday, I'd just like to point that out from the back row. Good grief. Chris Salcedo Show. We'll be right back. The Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Latino conservative Chris Salcedo on the Blaze Radio Network. And if that wasn't enough, Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell announced his working group on health care reform. And if you notice something all of those people have in common, it's 13 white men. Fred? First of all, what do you think of the pushback and the concern about that? And secondly, what about this argument that this is going to be as big a political burden for Republicans in 2018 as it was for Democrats who lost more than 60 seats in the House in 2010? First of all, I'd say that this whole health insurance issue is not a racial issue. Amen. Thank you, Brett Hume. It's what? Why point it out? Why does it make a difference if it happens to be all men? What's the matter with having men? who have expertise in this particular area and the working group on there. What's the matter? It's not saying that women 
uh, shouldn't belong in decision-making processes. It's just that the best people for the job were chosen. The best people for the job. Oh, and this and this this zealousness of Chris Wallace to basically say, "Oh, look at all those bunch of white guys." And Ted Cruz is sitting right there. This narrative that even Chris Wallace is participating in. Oh, Trump, white supremacist, male white supremacist. It just bugs the living daylights out of me. I mean, Chris Wallace is not on a, on a really good track record, folks. This basically ignoring the fact that Ted Cruz is on that panel, number one. Number two, last week talking about there are no sanctuary cities in Texas. <laughs> you might want to visit Dallas sometime, Mr. Wallace, or San Antonio, or Austin, or Houston. They are the sanctuary cities in the state of Texas, sir. The blueberries in the tomato soup, if you will. Let's talk about how this law that was just signed by Governor Greg Abbott, first in the nation, folks, last night, he did it on, he did it on social media on YouTube. Of course, the lefties went crazy because they couldn't muster all their, their pro-illegal alien folks <laughs> to go protest in front of the governor's mansion in time, so they were all apoplectic today, but... Let's talk about this with Eric Cedillo. He is the founder of the law offices of Eric Cedillo. He attended the University of Texas at Austin, where he received his undergraduate degree from St. Mary's School of Law, where he obtained his Doctor of Jurisprudence. For nearly a decade, Eric has been a member of the adjunct faculty at the SMU at Dedman's School of Law, where he has run the Consumer Advocacy Clinic. Mr. Cedillo, welcome back to the Chris Salcedo Show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. All right. First off, your take on the law that was just signed into law uh, by, by Governor Abbott. What do you think? Well, you talk about the, uh, the legal challenges or the uh, actual lawsuits that may be filed. I think there's a couple of ways in which it's going to be attacked, the first of which is going to be with those ICE detainers that you're talking about. Now, in all reality, the actual ICE detainers are civil in nature, and they're actually requests by the federal government. federal government cannot conscribe states to do the bidding of the federal government. As such, they have to be voluntary. So what these things are is telling these local law enforcement, hey, look, we're sending you this. Please comply with it. So actually the sheriffs have the ability to say, well, I want to do it or I don't want to do it. What's happened now is the state of Texas has basically said you must do it. So there's going to be a question, I think, of whether or not these local authorities have the ability to assert the Tenth Amendment, saying, hey, federal government, you can't really conscribe us to do these things. And through the Texas legislature, that's kind of what you're doing. So I well, think let, that's let, going to be the let, initial question. Yeah, let, let's let's uh, let's examine that for a minute because you're sure. right. If if this was a federal law that right. was being handed down commanding the state of Texas to comply, I think there would be a good judicial challenge to this. Right. However, this is the state saying this is now the policy of the state of Texas that we will cooperate with right. with detainers on illegal alien felons. So because it is the state saying that this is the state's policy and, you know, it, it, consistent with states' rights that, we, you know, you have the right to either comply or not comply, Texas has said we choose to comply. So, and, and the state has supremacy over these local jurisdictions. I mean, d d does this really uh, stand a, a snowball's chance in Hades of working? 
Well, that's a, that's the distinction that uh, that other laws, when they uh, assert that the federal government can't do that, this, that's why this is a little bit different, and it's going to be a little closer question, I think, and it's one that uh, that you know, quite honestly, we don't have the answer until it gets in front of a, a federal judge. So, yes, since the uh, state legislature has acted upon it, I think that's on a, a different legal ground in terms of the assertion of the Tenth Amendment. So, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see what happens. Yeah, we have these cases, and I and I bring up the one about this judge in Oregon. I'm not sure if you've heard about it. She was the one who allowed an illegal alien who was in her court, uh, a multiple-time felon. He was in her court because of drunken driving, putting the public at risk. And ICE was waiting to deport him, and she enabled the illegal alien to avoid ICE arrest. And he was out on the streets for two more weeks until ICE caught up with him. Then you have, of course, the what happened out in uh, San Francisco County with the, the sheriff's office there request, being requested to hold a man who would eventually be let loose by San Francisco County and kill Kate Steinle. And there are examples all across the country of this. I mean, the, the, the frustration, I believe, Eric, of the American people is why is it that, that certain jurisdictions have the ability to thumb their nose at federal law they don't like and, and get away with it but if but if I, as a conservative or the state of Texas, were to say, you know what, that Obamacare federal law, we're not going to comply. How do you like that? I mean, at the end of the day, there has to be a recognition of what of what the federal supremacy is. And I'll, and I'll take you back to Arizona, Arizona, where they said, we just want to help the federal government enforce immigration law. Obama said, no, we don't want your help. And they sued Arizona on this because the federal government has exclusive purview. When, when do, we, do we say to these elected leaders, and, and by and large they're Democrats, uh, that you, it is not okay to thumb your nose at federal law? Well, you know, you have to ask the question, what exactly is the federal law? And, and, and there is no doubt that there are federal laws, U.S. Code uh, 8, 1373 requires, it's federal law that requires the sharing of information the allowance of immigration into our jails to pick up individuals. But the question uh, in terms of whether or not this is a law, uh, on the detainers specifically, the ICE detainers, which is basically telling the sheriff, you must hold these people after they've already made bail. You must hold them until ICE picks them up. The problem the sheriffs have, in all honesty, it's not just a, a question of I want to protect these individuals. It's about getting sued by these you know, other individuals who say, wait a minute, you have not vetted that in terms of the Fourth Amendment, uh, you know, uh, whether or not this person has any spoken to a judge, received an issue of seizure of this person, things of that nature. It's a civil detainer. It's not a criminal detainer. A criminal detainer by the federal government is going to be honored every time. Uh, this is civil in nature and voluntary. So that's where sheriffs are like, well, I'm going to get sued if I do this. Additionally, my budget constraints are such that I'm going to have to hold this person you know, for a lengthier period of time. And if we're talking about thousands of individuals, where do I get those additional monies? So, you know, it's going to be something that needs to be kind of uh, fleshed out a bit more. But in terms of them actually violating law, up to this point, the sheriffs had the ability to do that. Right. In terms well, of the Eric voluntary Cedillo. nature of the detainers. Eric Cedillo is my guest right now, founder of the law offices of Eric Cedillo. And see, and, and this is... This is the group that Texas is targeting, and a lot of folks are targeting around the country, including the Trump administration, individuals who are multiple-time deportees, multiple-time felons, dangers to the community, but these individuals are being let loose back on the streets by the previous administration and by more left-leaning municipalities 
uh, because they are making the call as to what is really a serious felony and what is really not a serious felony. And my, my question to you is, is it in their purview to make that that decision or is it above their pay grade? I would rationalize it's above their pay grade. Well, in all honesty, up to this point, it was within their purview. Uh, now that the Texas legislature has spoken, we're going to have to see what uh, what it is they can do uh, or what it is they're ha- what is happening. I think uh, the support from the state government is saying, if you're sued for these things, we're going to support you. So that might be a different distinction or, or wrinkle for some of these sheriffs in terms of, of what they do. There's no doubt that, you know, the individuals who commit, you know, uh, serious deportees, serious crimes, that, that most people, you know, I don't care how liberal thinking you are, don't want those folks in our country if they're not here legally. I don't think that's a question at all. The question that we really need to get to is, I think, for these local sheriffs, not so much protecting these individuals as how do we give them the tools to you know, do it properly. Uh, so I think that's the big question that some of these sheriffs, lo- local sheriffs, in, in the state of Texas, you know, we honor these detainers at over 90%, which is much higher than any other state in the country. Uh, and and twice as many, you know, as California, which is the second in terms <laughs> of, uh, you know, in terms of the actual honoring of ice detainers. Uh, Eric, you know, uh, uh, the, the last measuring stick I want to use for, for compliance with the law yeah, yeah. in Texas is the state of California. That's for sure. Eric Cedillo, everybody, he's the founder of the law offices of Eric Cedillo. Always appreciate your time and expertise here on the Salcedo Show. Absolutely, Chris. All right, folks, we'll get back. We'll get your calls. 888-933-93-888-900-3393. Salcedo Show on The Blaze. Telling the truth. It's one of those jobs American liberals won't do. That's why we need the liberty-loving Latino Chris Salcedo. The Blaze Radio Network. Conservative Talk Radio with Spice. All right, let's go out to uh, the state of Massachusetts. Scott is calling in. Scott, welcome to the Salcedo Show, man. Chris, what's up? Always a pleasure, my friend. How are you today? I'm all right. Uh, so we've covered an awful lot today from... I agree. From, I was from yeah, illegals I no- to, to Yates and to the Russia scandal to... Uh, what else to be... Are we, uh, oh, yeah, to Jonathan Gruber and... Uh, and the, the replay, repeal and replace, what, what, what is on your mind today? Chris, I could go, no joking or exaggeration, in one of nine directions. Like I said, uh-huh. give me a microphone. When we'll take the show till 8 p.m. tonight, Eastern Time. I could keep talking. Uh, where go. do I begin? All right, I, I'm aware of the clock, though. we got about four or five minutes. First of all, yes, the, the BS going on and the liberal spin is ridiculous. Um, I have two topics, so please allow me to uh, hit both. First, Trey Gowdy. Where do I get the sign, Trey Gowdy for president? He's my favorite. I love him. He is a no BS guy. He, he's the best prosecutor. You know, I'm doing the air quotes. Prosecutor I've ever seen. I'll tell you what. If I got a DUI, I wouldn't want him cross-examining me, Trey yeah, Gowdy. Well, if only he wanted the job. What, what is his political aspirations, would you say? Do you know anything None. about him? Or? He wants to get out of Congress, and he wants to uh, get back into private practice. Mm, understandably so. That's where the money is. He's yeah. talented. Do you agree? I, I think Trey Gowdy's amazing. Oh, absolutely. He's, he's one of our favorites. But again, I think that he, he, he is probably 
been disillusioned by what what goes on up there on Capitol Hill. I think it's not so much the fact that he wants to get back and make some more money. He wants to get out of that cesspool in Washington. Yeah, you know what? Let me withdraw and rephrase. That was actually poorly chosen words. I shouldn't have said that. Money. He's a public servant. Money's probably the last thing on his mind. So that was a... I misspoke there, and I apologize. Well, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be successful. I mean, uh, I'm sure that that's every conservative has in his mind uh, uh, working hard and being a success and getting rewarded for your for your effort. I don't think that's that's not a problem. That's why I didn't balk at it when you said it. I know what you meant. But the the best politicians, though, they aren't in it. They don't care. They don't care what the salary is. They actually care about the country and the populace over the hof, over the office of which they lead. Well, if that you were know? true, we wouldn't have career politicians. Uh, <laughs> well said. The, 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 yeah, those those who want to to uh, do their service and do their duty get in. They're in there to to as long as they can financially hold out, do their service, and they leave. And then they go back into the private sector and make money. See, the reason why Democrats stay and and become and and those who are of the liberal persuasion stay there, like like uh, Lindsey Graham and John McCain, is because they're not talented to do much of anything else. Chris, I, I could go on and on. I'll do my next topic. Like I said, I wish, I, had, I wish we had more time. But let me switch gears really quickly, okay? All right. This is related to the whole Obamacare health insurance issue. Do you remember about six to seven months ago, Meals on Wheels was all up in arms because the government cut their funding by, I don't know what the number was, 10%, 11 whatever it was. It's, uh, it's moot. But me, do you, are you with me? Remember Meals well, on Wheels? Well, yeah, it was a proposal. It never got cut because it was just a proposal. Okay. Well, you know more than me, as usual, but yes. Point being, though, do you know once, they, once that even made the news, they've never had more cash flow in their lives? My point being, people are inherently good, you know. Now, on the news, all you hear about is the bad people. I'm here in Boston. You put the news on, another murder, another there. It's depressing. But guess what? There's a lot of good people out there, too. And once people saw that Meals on Wheels was getting cut funded, the people said, oh, you know what, yeah, I'll donate 20. They've never had more cash. The, the, the genesis of my point here, Chris, is that if you get government out of the way, everything will operate more smoothly. Well, that's, that, that's axiomatic. I mean, that, that, is, that is a truism. And you know what? Uh, if you want an exercise in frustration, Scott, uh, watch CBS Evening News. And uh, because I, I, I can only stomach it once once a week when I go over to have dinner at my folks house. Uh, and then and then I just I just sit there and I, I literally yell at the TV bias, 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 bias. Oh, oh, gee, that's completely that's fair. I, I say sarcastically, you, you, you want to get your blood pumping and you want uh, you, you want an exercise in um, in futility. Head to uh, head to CBS News and try. I'm making air quotes with my fingers. Try to Chris, digest that. I got one that. more for you. I don't mean to ever overspeak the host. Excuse me, but I know how quickly phone calls can end on radio. Excuse me for interrupting you there. I do my best. You got about better. 60 seconds to make that point, but go ahead. All right, here we go. This is a local story. Do you get ready for this one? You'll run with this one well, tomorrow, maybe. Harvard. Oh God, here we go. Right. <laughs> Harvard graduation is having a separate ceremony for black graduates. <laughs> that's news. That's that, no, this is this is real. Uh, uh, no, no, no. I I completely and thank you for the call, Scott. I completely believe it. Uh, I completely believe it. You know why? Because well, I got to be honest with you, folks. Liberals. Uh, we'll answer it tomorrow. Uh, uh, society's worth not measured by how much power is seized by government, but rather how much power is reserved for we the people. See ya. 
800-3393. The Chris Salcedo Show. On the Blaze Radio Network.